Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. I'm believing God for great and mighty things. And I know that when you're in the middle of the trial, when you're in the middle of the hardship, in the middle of the heartache, oftentimes you can be asking so many questions. You can be wondering why God would allow you to face what you're facing and why God would allow you to experience the heartache and the pain. But can I tell you something? There is a purpose in everything that we go through. And you might not see it now. You might not see it today. But God will turn things around and he will use it for his good and he will use it for his glory. And if you believe that tonight, can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight? Amen. Tonight we are finishing our three-part series on the life of David. And in this series, we've been covering an overview of David. And I hope that as we've been speaking about his life, that you can really see yourself in his shoes. Not just the favor upon his life, but the struggles, the shortcomings, the imperfections. We've talked about how David was an ordinary man. He was far from a perfect man, but he became a great man. And that's really something that you and I can look forward to. The reality is that we're all ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. We're all natural beings serving a supernatural God. David was an ordinary human being, and he was far from a perfect human being, but God used him greatly for his kingdom. And tonight, I want to bring this right down to where you are, your reality, your weaknesses, your disappointments, your struggles. And I hope that you realize that a great man or woman of God is not one that has reached perfection, but rather in their humanity has fallen short, yet doesn't stay down, but gets back up by the grace of God and carries on in the divine purpose upon their life. If you believe that tonight, I want you to give God a hand clap of praise. Now, I think if David was alive today... And I can't promise you this tonight. You would have to go out there and read the different denominational bylaws. But if I think, I think that if David was alive in 2023, I think that he would have lost his denominational credentials. I think that David would have been canceled. I think that the Facebook Sanhedrin of today would have eaten him alive. I mean, David, he would have to, he'd be blocking everybody, unfriend, unfollow, delete, block, block, block. I mean, I can picture church people uh, going out to lunch and, and, and asking each other, did you hear what David did? Did you hear what else David did? I mean, he's supposed to be a great man of God, and now he's done. He's fallen from grace. God will never be able to use him again. What a fake. What a hypocrite. What a disgrace. What a joke. But you know what? The joke is on them because nobody is too far out of reach of God's grace and God's mercy and God's restoration. My Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but 
God is looking at the heart. Man looks at your failure. Man looks at your shortcomings. Man looks at your imperfections, but God sees your heart. And God knows that in your heart of hearts that you love him. God knows that in your heart of hearts you want to serve him. And you want to follow him. And some people might label you as a hypocrite. Some people might say that you're fake. And that they might say that, that you're two-faced. But you can be truly in love with Jesus and yet still find yourself in seasons of shortcomings and failures and transgression. And I want to encourage you in that here tonight because some will say that if you fall short, then you were never saved to begin with. And that if you're truly saved, that you'll never sin another day in your life. But my Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short, present tense, come short of the glory of God. First John says that if we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's not speaking to the unsaved, that's speaking to the saved. And so even as a child of God, we've got to realize how desperately we need Jesus. And once you realize how desperately you need Jesus, then it won't take a shortcoming or a failure for you to realize it. You'll be able to remain consistent in your faith, whether you're having a good day or you're having a bad day, you can get back up by the grace of God, a righteous man, not an unrighteous man, a righteous man falls down seven times, but he doesn't stay down. He rises again. And you might be in a place of shortcoming tonight, but there's fresh mercy and grace for you here today. I want to encourage you here tonight that your failure is not final. It's not God's will for you to live in a prison of your past. That's not God's voice over your life, that voice of condemnation that you're always going to be a failure. You know, I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday, randomly out of the blue, that called me from high school, and they've been struggling with various different addictions, and they began to share about their addictions and they were struggling with their addiction. And, and I asked them, well, what do you want for your future? What do you see for your future? And they said, well, I feel worthless. I feel like I've done too much. I feel like nobody wants me. Can I tell you something here tonight? You are never worthless in the eyes of God. Man might write you off, but there is still fresh grace and mercy for you. And we serve a God who still makes all things new. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that here tonight? You might be battling addiction, but there's still hope for you. You might be battling sin, but there's still hope for you. And I don't think that we in the church that we, that we really believe what I'm preaching here tonight. We believe it in theory, but not in actuality. Uh, my Bible says that, that goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Hallelujah. And so we in the church, we often, we don't truly understand grace, but when you look into the life of David, uh, you're wondering when I'd get back to David, when you look into the life of David, then you can get a glimpse of how good God's grace and mercy truly is. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. You want to know why it's following you all the days of your life? Is because God knows that you're going to need it all the days of your life. Isn't that good news that there is an endless supply of God's grace and mercy flowing to you today as a child of God? 
You see, grace and mercy from others often runs dry, and so that can taint our perspective of what grace and mercy truly is. But God's grace is completely beyond the grace that we receive from others. God's mercy has an endless supply. It's unlimited in what it can do for you. And you ought to give God praise for that one here this morning because it's by his mercies that you and I are not consumed. It's by his mercy that you and I are still here today. And David would would pray the prayer, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And that should be our heart every day. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Now, I want you to think about this here uh, this evening that there is more written about the life of David in the Bible than any other individual besides Jesus. Of course, Jesus is number one, but besides Jesus, David has the most uh, writings about his life. And uh, following up with uh, David, the runner-up to David is Abraham. Now, Abraham has uh, 14 chapters written about him. His name is also mentioned in the New Testament. Joseph follows right after Abraham. He also has 14 chapters written about him. Elijah follows after Joseph. Elijah has 10 chapters in the Old Testament about his life. It it, 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 uh, chroniclings his life. And then his name is also mentioned in the New Testament. But get this, David has 66 chapters describing his life from start to finish. 66 chapters chronicling his life from start to finish. Finish. Not only that, but his name is mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. Don't you think that this is somebody that God wanted us to know about? Now, I want to kind of give a recap on where we left off in the life of David. We dealt with David's upbringing as a shepherd uh, in his father's field. We talked about David playing the harp uh, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit before Saul and the demonic oppression that Saul faced that was broken off of him. And we talked about the power of anointed worship music and how when music is anointed by the Spirit of God, it has the power to break oppression it's got the power to break depression and anxiety. And I want to take a moment to address a doctrine that has become seemingly more and more prevalent in some of the Pentecostal and charismatic circles. And it's the notion that born again children of God can be demon possessed. Let me be as clear as I possibly can be here today. A Christian can be oppressed, but they cannot be possessed, period. I'm going to say that again. A Christian can be oppressed, but they cannot be possessed. And to teach such doctrine is unscriptural, it's dangerous, and it often results in unnecessary anxiety in the lives of those who hear it. And there are some who believe that any time and every time a Christian struggles with sin or addiction, that they have a devil and that they need deliverance. And I heard it just recently that if you're struggling with addiction, that you've got company. And really what they're implying is that anytime you have a struggle with sin, that you need to be delivered from an evil spirit. My question is, is where does that leave sin? Where does that leave the heart of man? The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And I think sometimes we give the devil too much credit. 
The issue isn't always the devil. Oftentimes it's a person that we look at in the mirror, the heart of man. The Bible says that there is a battle between the war. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so as long as we have a sinful nature, we're always going to have a battle with the flesh. Our flesh always wants to go contrary to the will of God. But my Bible says that God has delivered me from the powers of darkness and has translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. Past tense. He has already delivered me. He has already taken me from the powers of darkness. Well, when did that happen? That happened the moment you got saved. The moment you were born again, God translated you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of his dear son. My Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That he who the son has set free is free indeed. My Bible says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I don't know about you and I don't know what Bible some people are reading, but I believe in a God that is able to deliver his people from every power of darkness, from every bit of oppression, every demonic attack. You already have deliverance through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The victory is already yours. The deliverance is already yours. The question is, is do you receive it? Do you believe it? Hallelujah. What kind of God do you believe in that the blood of Jesus can't protect you from demonic possession? Because that's what that implies. That implies that a devil got through the blood. That a curse got through the blood. I've got news for you here tonight. By the time a curse gets through the blood, it becomes a blessing. Hallelujah. You've already got freedom. You've already got deliverance through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we mistake a sin problem with a possession problem, then any time we struggle with sin, we're going to wonder, do I need to be delivered from another demonic spirit? David, he had many struggles in his life, and he struggled with sin, and we're going to be talking more about it here tonight. But David, I mean, think about this man. I mean, he, he c- committed adultery. After sleeping with Uzziah's wife, he created a murder plot to kill Uzziah. And yet God described David as a man after his own heart. You know, David is the only one in the word of God who was given that title. A man after God's own heart. Uh, The man second to Jesus that has the most spoken about him from Genesis to Revelation is a man that committed adultery and a man that committed murder. And yet God said, that man is a man after my own heart. You see, Israel was looking for a king, but God was looking for a heart. God was looking for a heart that was sold out to him. And even though Saul met the requirements of man and he met the standards of man, he didn't have a heart after God. And even though David didn't meet the requirements of man, He did have a heart after God, and so David was God's chosen king. And you might look at your life, and you might try to compare it to other people, people that might seem impressive on the outside, and you might say, well, I don't have their stature. I don't have their giftings. I don't have their talents. What matters is, is do you have the heart? Do you have a heart after God? And even when you fall and even when you fail, you can get back up by the grace of God. 
We see David defeating the Philistine when he said, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We talked about how David, that Goliath is a type of the devil. And whenever he slayed that giant, it was a type of Jesus defeating principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated every giant in your life. We talked about how David had an affair with Bathsheba, his plot to kill her husband, to, to cover it up, and then he marries Bathsheba. And then the prophet Nathan, it was very interesting how he exposed David because basically uh, Nathan conveyed the story to David in third person. And so David thought that the prophet Nathan was speaking about somebody else. And then once David said, man, that's a despicable human being, then Nathan said, well, guess what? You're the man that I'm talking about. You know, a lesson could be learned in that. And I didn't plan to preach on that. But, you know, so often we're so focused on the imperfections of other people and we're so focused on the shortcomings of other people that we don't realize what's in our own heart. David was trying to condemn somebody else, and he was guilty of the very thing that he was condemning other people for. Have you ever met people that like to go to church and just point out everybody else's failure? And it's almost like they're just blinded by their own sin. They're blinded by their own failure. They're blinded by their own shortcomings. You know, that's why I don't go to church to focus on people. I go to church to focus on Jesus. I know there's messed up people who go to church because I go to church. Amen. Amen. We're all messed up. But we depend on the grace of God. And we're all a work in progress. And so we, we realize that. We realize that we're imperfect people, but we daily depend upon the grace of God. And so when I go to church, I'm not looking for shortcomings. I realize that church is for imperfect people. If you would say, I'm, I'm perfect, well, I'm sorry, this ain't the place for you. And, you know, some people think that if the church was perfect, then nobody would be offended. But the reality is, if everybody was perfect, then people would walk into church, and they would feel like they couldn't live up to the perfectionism, and then they would be offended. But I go to church for Jesus, and when I, those, when I see people fall short, if we're truly spiritual, then we'll want to actually restore them. We'll want to actually strengthen them. We'll want to actually encourage them in the ways of God. And so Nathan, he exposed him in a very interesting way. And then, you know, the story, David's child with Bathsheba ended up dying uh, as a result. And so then David, he gets back up and he goes on with his life. And, you know, maybe you, maybe you see results of sin in your life and you think, you know, if I wasn't there, if I wasn't in that place then this never would have happened. And here I am. And now God is angry at me. And now God has given up on me and there's no more hope. David could have fallen into those thoughts. He could have said, you know, uh, I messed up. If God truly loved me, then my child with Bathsheba would have survived. And you know what? I might as well just quit. But David didn't do that. David got back up by the grace of God. And so that's why you've got to be careful when it comes to giving into the voice of condemnation and shame and guilt because if it's the voice of God, then you're going to hear grace and you're going to hear restoration and you're going to hear mercy and you're going to hear hope. And so David got back up by the grace of God. And then soon after he gives birth to his son Solomon with Bathsheba. 
and that's where we left off. And so tonight I want to talk about the cave of a the cave of a, a dulum, if I can get the words out tonight. The cave of a dulum. Many of you are familiar with the, the background. David was fleeing from Saul. Saul was a type of the flesh. Saul was a type of man. And uh, David was a type of the spirit. And let me say this tonight. The flesh will always persecute the spirit. The flesh will always oppose the spirit. It's true in our own individual lives. We're in that battle. If you feel like you're in a battle tonight, well, congratulations. That means you're saved. That's, that means you're born again. Because the devil wouldn't be fighting you if you weren't serving God. It's once you get saved and you try to live for God, then you really begin to feel the tension and you really begin to feel the friction because you've set in your heart that I'm going to live for Jesus. And living for Jesus goes totally and completely contrary to the desires of the flesh. We have these natural proclivities and propensities to live in a way contrary to the will and way of God for our life. And before you got saved, there was no battle. You would just give in to the flesh. The Bible says before we got saved, we lived according to the prince of the power of the air, and we were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. There was no, you had no desire to live for God. Uh, a sinner doesn't try to please God. A sinner just does whatever he wants to do. But once you got saved and you decide to serve Jesus, then you begin to go contrary to the desires of the flesh. Now, the reality is, is that the flesh is more powerful than our willpower. The power of sin is more powerful than our own willpower, but the grace of God is more powerful than sin. And so if you want to live free from sin and you want to live free from the flesh, it takes the spirit of God in whom David is a type of. It takes the spirit of God working in your life and ultimately you can receive that victory in your life. And so David, he's seeking refuge from Saul. Saul was trying to kill David. Saul is also a type of religion. You know, religion will make you a very angry individual. Religion uh, can make you a very hateful individual, and that's why we always make a distinction between religion and a relationship with Jesus. I have preached in churches that I hope God never sends me back to. I have preached in very religious, very legalistic churches out there. I remember... When I first went to the country of Ukraine, and I always had a desire to go to Ukraine, had already preached in Ukrainian churches here in the U.S., and so a pastor friend of mine from New York, he wanted to come on the trip, and so, I mean, we got done traveling. It was like a 22-hour trip, and just completely exhausted. We get to Ukraine at like 3 or 4 in the afternoon. We had to go straight from the airport, get a quick bite to eat. I had no time to freshen up. I had to go straight to a meeting with a bunch of pastors and then straight from that meeting into the service. So I'm exhausted. But, you know, I asked the pastor friend of mine if he would open up the service. And he, he's not a very emotional kind of guy. He's Pentecostal. He's spirit-filled, but he's kind of reserved. But I, I asked him to open up the service. And so as he was given the opening, then one of the other leaders of the church asked my translator to ask me, if whenever I preach, if I wouldn't be so as so emotional, they didn't want me to be as emotional as him. And I told I told my translator, well, I can't make any promises because I was going to preach as I felt led to by the spirit of God. And if I never get invited back to there again, well, there's millions of other churches out there. Praise God. 
But, you know, I had given an altar call for salvation, and I was told later on that if you give an altar call in certain churches in Ukraine for salvation, then you're implying that they're not saved, and then they're offended by what you're preaching. Or in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was some of the first Russian churches that I ever preached in, and they were some of the most traditional and legalistic churches, and, you know, I had I was told before I went into the service, my coordinator said, hey, you know, they're not real big on American preachers because they don't like when American preachers walk away from the pulpit like I'm doing right now because they think that you're walking away from the word of God. And they don't like when preachers uh, smack their Bible while they're preaching. I can't do that either because I have an electronic Bible here tonight. So they said, yeah, they don't really like American preachers. So just be mindful of that. And they knew what ministry I was coming from at that time. And so when I got there, they had asked me what ministry I was a part of. Are you from so-and-so's church? I said, yes, I am. But I said, I'm here to represent one man, and that's Jesus Christ. And they said, well, what are you going to be teaching on here this morning? Now, I didn't say law versus grace because I probably would have gotten stoned right then and there. So I said, justification and how to live for God. Now, what he didn't know at the time is when I teach on how to live for God, I'm going to deal with law versus grace. And so as I was teaching on legalism, and I brought it down home because in their church, there was a lot of church legalism. The women, they all had head coverings. And I mean, some of these people look like some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth. They look like they just got done sucking lemons. And that's what religion will do to you. Religion will steal the joy out of your soul. Religion goes contrary to the spirit of God. And so as I was teaching on law versus grace, I could just see they were just, there was like an anger there from some of the people. And I didn't even call out the tradition specifically, but I I think that they knew what I was talking about. And I remember as I was greeting on the way out, there was some lady that came up to me and she said, that's an awesome message, you know, thank you for teaching on that. And she goes, I just want to ask you, what's the difference between teaching on this and churches that believe it and then churches like this where there's a lot of legalism? And she's like, there's, there's a lot of legalism in this church. And as people were walking by greeting me, she started telling them, I was telling him, there's a, a lot of legalism in this church. And so you know, she, she understood what I was saying. And I haven't been invited back there to preach. I don't know why. But, you know, the flesh will always go contrary to the Spirit of God. The flesh will always war with the Spirit of God. And and, and you see that all the way back in Cain and Abel. The same thing that was happening with Saul and David. It was a murderous spirit as a result of religion. Cain was going contrary to the will of God. Cain was going contrary to the Spirit of God. Cain was going contrary to the Word of God. God said, I want you to provide an, I want you to offer up an animal sacrifice. Cain said, Well, I'm going to offer up a different sacrifice. It's going to look good, it's going to look pretty. And so he offered up his sacrifice. Abel offered up an animal sacrifice unto God. It might not have looked pretty, but it was according to what God commanded. And the Bible says that God did not accept Cain's offering, but Abel's offering God received. And Cain was so angry that Cain killed Abel. It was a murderous spirit as a result of religion. And here you have the same thing with Saul and David. David is God's chosen man. David is anointed by God. David was 
was called by God before the foundations of the world. God has already predestined him to be the king over Israel. And here you have Saul, a type of man, a type of the flesh. He was appointed by a man. Now, a lot could be said there because I believe that there are a lot of self-appointed people in ministry and man-appointed preachers in ministry. And that's why it's so important to be appointed by God. The Bible says that Paul, Paul said that God, he was the one that called him, that his calling came directly from God. It was not from man. It was not by man. It came directly from the Lord. And so I believe in going to seminary. I believe in studying. I believe in going to Bible college. But there's only one thing that qualifies you to preach, and that's the call of God upon your life. That's God appointing you to that position. And if God hasn't called you to a certain function of ministry, uh, it's not going to turn out well because the grace of God isn't going to be there. When you're in the will of God, then the grace of God will be with you. You know, I told somebody just yesterday in a meeting that uh, back when I was doing full-time evangelism, I didn't want a pastor. People would ask me, I remember Pastor Gabe at lunch, you ever going to pastor a church? And I told them, I don't think I have the grace to be a pastor because I like being an evangelist. You get to blow in, blow up, and then you blow out. And then you leave all the problems for the pastor. And you tell him, I'll pray for you. It was awesome. It was amazing. Now, thankfully, we got a great body of believers, so I have it pretty easy. Thank God. Right now. Hallelujah. Y'all need to start praying in Jesus' name. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the people that we have. But I, I used to always say that I don't have the grace to be the pastor. I, I don't have the grace to to deal with people's issues day in and day out and, and, and hear about the things day in and day out. And I was thinking about it today, you know, uh, some of y'all wonder why some pastors, you know, charge for counseling sessions is because by the time they get done hearing all your problems, they're going to have to pray for, pay for a counseling session. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But where was I? I didn't, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't think that I would have the grace to be a pastor, but I said, Lord, if it's your will, then I'm willing to do it, and I'm going to need your grace. And then once I trusted the Lord and I stepped into that, then I began to sense and feel the grace of God. And then I said, okay, by your grace, I can do this. And so when you're in the will of God and when you're doing what God has called you to do, the grace of God will be upon your life. And Saul, he wasn't God's chosen man. He was appointed by man. And so Saul, he, he, he opposed David. And in 1 Samuel, when Saul was trying to kill David, you see the cave of Adullam. It says in verse 1, 22, 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, They went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Now, I really find this amazing because David is in such a low place in his life. And yet all of these people, those that were distressed, those that were discontent, those that were in debt, the Bible says that they all gathered to David. You know... I've found that oftentimes in the lowest times of life, in the lowest times of ministry, there seems to be the greatest opportunity to minister to others. It's when you're in your hardship 
that you really find yourself relating to others in their hardship even more, and you're able to encourage them in the ways of God. Usually when everything's going well, we're just often oblivious to the hurt and the pain going on around us. We, uh, we're around people out in public. And, and let me just say this, that, that if the church is restricted to the four walls, then we will be powerless in our cities. Uh, the church has to look beyond the four walls, and we've got to look out into the harvest field, and we've got to know that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We've got to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and reach others for the cause of Jesus Christ. I've said it before that the apex, the apex of all Christian endeavor must become to put the jewel of a soul and the crown of our Savior, that the Lamb of God slain might receive the reward for his suffering. Everything that we do ultimately should be to bring more souls into the kingdom of God. And so David here, he's in the cave of Adullam, and all of these people that were in very low seasons of life, they gravitated toward David. I want to encourage you that you might be in a low season right now. And you might feel like God can't use you be right now because of the way that you feel. And you would say, if I was on a mountaintop and everything was going good in my life right now, then I, then I could preach and then I could stand up behind a pulpit and then I could minister to others. But God is saying, I want to use you right where you are right now. And I want to use your hardships. I want to use your struggles. I want to use your difficulties. I, I went through things years ago. I'll, I'll just say, I went through seasons of anxiety. I went through seasons of depression. And in those moments, I said, God, why are you allowing me to go through it? But if I never would have gone through it, I never would have understood it. And now when I come across people that are going through it, I'm able to minister to them and relate to them and encourage them and let them know God brought me through it and he can bring you through it as well. Amen. And so you might not understand what you're going through, but even in your seasons of lowliness, even when things look bleak, God will send people your way. And, you know, sometimes it's when you're ministering to them that you begin to feel lifted in your own spirit. And you feel encouraged in your own spirit. And God uses that to move you forward. And, and you know, some believe it, uh, David wrote Psalm 57 from the cave of Adullam when he said, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Again, and you really see the heart of David here. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Now, I want you to think about David here tonight. David, he was on his own. He was a fugitive. He was running for his life. Yet God was with him during this time. But David was in a place where he had to learn to walk with the Lord. He had to learn to depend upon God. You know, you might feel all alone right now. And you might feel like you're running for your life right now. You're in survivor mode. You're just trying to break through. And, you know, sometimes it just feels like one thing after the next just hits you. Uh, day after day after day. Uh, and you're just, you're not even trying to thrive. You're just trying to survive right now. And it's in those times of desperation that we truly learn to trust in God. It's in those times of despair that we're really pressed to push in. It's in those times when we're going through the desert that we're, we're, we're 
push to go back to the water source. We're pressed to go back to the brook. And sometimes God will allow the water to dry up just so you come back to him, just so you come back to the source. And so David, even though he's running, he's fleeing for his life, David is in a season where he's learning to trust in the Lord. We have a saying that desperation precedes revelation. Sometimes it takes coming to a point of desperation before we truly get a revelation of Jesus. It's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. And he said his grace is sufficient for you. And we will never truly experience the strength of God until we really need the strength of God. And we find ourselves in a season of weakness. Then if we'll look to the Lord and we'll trust and depend upon him, then we can experience his grace in ways that we've never experienced. Now, I also tonight want to talk about David's friendship with Jonathan. Uh, And you see that in 1 Samuel Chapter 18 and verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After David had finished speaking with Saul, the souls of Jonathan and David were knit together, and David loved him as himself. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about the importance of relationships in ministry. Because I believe that no matter how great the call of God is upon your life, David, he was destined to be the king of Israel. It doesn't matter how great the call of God is upon your life. God wants to surround you with people to encourage you, people that you can relate to. Not everybody in church world you're going to relate to. Not everybody in the church you're going to really feel like you click with, and that's okay. But God will send people along your side that will be a strength to you. God will send people along your side that that will encourage you. And let me say this here today, that you don't have to be twins to be brothers. You don't have to look alike. You don't have to look the same. God will just send people that you need. God will send you brothers, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother doesn't run when you're going through a hard time. A brother doesn't give up on you and quit when you find yourself in a time of difficulty. They're going to be with you in the despair, and they're going to see you through until you come out on the other side. Aren't you thankful for that here tonight? You know, some of, y'all, some of y'all saw saw the football game recently where one particular player made one bad move, and basically his whole team was so upset with him because they lost the chance to go to the Super Bowl that they basically just walked away from him, but there was one that stayed, and there was one that didn't give up on him. And when he was broken down in tears and feeling horrible about a stupid mistake that was so costly, he had that one that stuck with him. And a true brother will not give up on you when you find yourself in difficulty. And that's when you can truly see who your friends are. Because, hey, when you're on the mountaintop, people love to come around those that are uh, succeeding and prosperous. And they they love the association. They love being seen around you. But are they going to be with you when you're in the valley of the shadow of death? Are they going to be with you when you're going through the fiery furnace? Are are they going to be with you when you find yourself in that time of difficulty? And God sent uh, Jonathan to be a friend to David. And, and, And you see this all the way back with Moses. That when Moses his hands grew tired that Aaron and her that they held up his hands one on each, one on each side 
I, I think that we've got to, in ministry, we've got to keep our heart open to those that God wants to place alongside of us. Some, uh, surprisingly, some people, even when they're uh, having a great magnitude in the kingdom of God, can deal with a lot of insecurities, and so they can't, tr- they feel like they can't trust anybody, and as a result, they don't have any relationships, they don't have any friendships, but that's not God's will for your life. God wants to surround you with people that you can trust. God wants to surround you with confidants that you can open up to and know that they're not going to twist things around in the future and use it to hurt you. They're going to be there to support you. They're going to be there to encourage you. You know, some uh, prayer chains out there are just gossip circles in disguise. What's going on? What happened? Well, why did you do that? You know, sometimes when people are asking too many, too many questions, maybe you should just say, just pray, just pray. The Lord knows. People don't need to know all the details. Some people, they want to hear what's going on just so that they can spread it to other people. But God will send you true people, true men and women of God that you can trust. Somebody with a kindred spirit. Somebody that you can lean on in times of difficulty. And Saul, here he is, he's He's receiving threats from Saul, or David, he's receiving threats from Saul. And David, as you know, David, he became king at 30 years old. He reigned for 40 years until he passed away. But David, he was a type of Christ in that Jesus started his earthly ministry at 30 years old. And David began reigning over Israel at 30 years old. But here's David. He went through many, many seasons of trouble, many seasons of difficulty. I love what he said in Psalm chapter 25 and verse 5. He said, guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all the day long. I love that. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are, you are the God of my salvation. On you I will wait all the day. David There were times when God got angry with David. You're familiar with uh, David's census of the people. When David, he counted his fighting men. And and, uh, let me say this about that, that the Bible doesn't really say specifically why God was so angry about that. Many believe it's because he was trusting in military power rather than trusting in the Lord. And as a result, nearly 70,000 people were killed out of God's anger. But Numbers aren't a bad thing as long as it's in its proper place. The Bible says in the book of Acts that 3,000 people were saved. That was the Holy Spirit that saw fit to write that 3,000 people got saved. And then nearly, then soon after that, another 5,000 people got saved. And the reason why I say that is because some people think that big church equals bad church. I'll never preach against a church just for being a big church. Because the early church was a big church. The early church was a mega church. 3,000 people got saved in one day. That's a mega church. And the Spirit of God saw fit to put it in your Bible. And I don't know about you, but I want to see as many people as I possibly can saved and brought into the kingdom of God. May it be thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Hallelujah. That's my heart. That's my desire. Some people think too small. We serve a big God. We ought to ask big. We serve a big God. We ought to think big. 
And so the issue with David was that he was, I think that his, his trust was in the wrong thing. And so whether it's one soul getting saved or it's a million souls getting saved, my eyes are on Jesus either way. Hallelujah. Because I know that God will move heaven and earth just to bring one soul into the kingdom of God. And that one soul is so precious in the eyes of God that God will go to extents and lengths that we never would have imagined just to draw that that one soul into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. When we go on mission trips and we go to foreign countries, yeah, we want to see thousands of people get saved, but we're also thinking about the taxi driver. When we were driving in the nation of Colombia recently, we were going through a, a military uh, section. There were several police officers that came up, and so I just preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ in Spanish and just saw tears coming down his eyes. Because whether it's thousands of people or it's just one, every soul is precious in the eyes of God. But I'm asking God for the nations. And whether you're in a low season or you're in a high season, this should be your prayer right here. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. I will wait on you all the day. Hallelujah. My hope is in you all the day long. I hope that as we've gone through the life of David, that you find encouragement wherever you are tonight. Whether you're in a victory right now or you're in failure right now, either way, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not.